So I remember chasing him, and I chased him northbound on uh, County Road 1. I chased him into Amberley Subdivision, and they wrecked. There was a ton of blood inside the car. The car was just covered with blood inside, and it wasn't from the wreck. Mm -hmm. And so what it turned out, they had just done an armed robbery, but the car was stolen, and they had murdered the owner of the car. You're listening to 56, a Pinellas County Sheriff's Office podcast. I'm Ricky Butler with Laura Sullivan and Ashley Cooley. We have got the show of all shows today with the guest of all guests because we are excited to have Sheriff Bob Golteri joining us today on 56. Um, before we get him in here, though, a fun story. Uh, not that the fun's going to stop. I hope not. No, it's I'm not. here for the fun. No, yeah, that's what we're here for, but um, <laughs> except him. I think. As long, yeah, I was going to um, say as long as he is. So... Every time we do something new, like a podcast, mm-hmm. we pitch to the sheriff. Yeah. And uh, over the years, we've pitched a lot of stuff to the sheriff. And the best rule of thumb, if you have to go talk to the sheriff about something, is to think about how much you should prepare mm-hmm. and then prepare twice as much as you think you should. Although sometimes he's just like, yep, sounds good, which is fortunately what happened with the podcast. So <laughs> I go through, he lets me go through like the whole pitch and then he's like, yep, sounds good. What are y'all going to talk about? I explain to him, okay, sounds good. And there's like this awkward pause and he's like, who's going to be first? And I'm like, oh, Detective Ron Chalmers. And he's like, oh, okay. And then kind of moved on, right? So I'm like, mm. you know, I mean, mm. of course we want to talk to the sheriff, but he's a busy guy. We didn't know how this was going to go. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't presume. No, no, never. no. So fast forward to a couple of months ago, and uh, he's in my office and on my board and my whiteboard, I've kind of got our next couple episodes mapped out and then some brainstorming ideas and things on there. And he's like, oh, this looks like you got this is, well, people coming up with the podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh. Pretty good group. I've never been asked. And I'm like, <laughs> I spun around in my chair and I called Sharon, the executive assistant, and said, Give me a couple hours on his calendar, and boom, here we are. So Sheriff Bob Walteri is uh, joining us today on oh, 56. Yeah. I figured he wouldn't be doing the asking, he'd be doing the telling. So right. I was just waiting to be told that he was going to be. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, he, he lets us do our thing, which we appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, um, a little bit about him and really the only stat that anybody really needs to know because he is out there quite a bit. He's been described as a lot of things over the years by the media, a lightning rod, you know, somebody that finds his way into some of the biggest law enforcement related discussions across the country. But we're going to focus on him today and not talk about all that stuff. But uh, so there are two uh, national organizations for sheriffs. So there's the National Sheriff's Association, which uh, represents all 3,100 roughly sheriffs across the country. Mm-hmm. And then there's major county sheriffs of America, which represents, I think, about 110 uh, sheriffs that are from major counties, really created with the name there. So um, he has been selected as sheriff of the year by both of those organizations, NSA wow. in 2019 and MCSA in 2022. So that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're really lucky to have him uh, with us uh, in Pinellas County. And I'm not just saying that because he signs all of our paychecks. Um, but we're lucky to have him, and we're even more fortunate to have him joining us on 56. Sheriff Bob Walteri, welcome to 56. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, because you're an avid listener, we start off, uh, Ashley has kind of an icebreaker question for you. Mm-hmm. We have never heard the question, so mm-hmm. she's going to ask it, and we're all going to so, be scared so, together. So why do you think we had to break the ice here? Uh, we do it with everybody, oh, so okay. don't make it about you. Okay. <laughs> we like to break the ice with everybody. Okay, go ahead. Have right. a good time. So I told them this is my anxiety Pillow. It is not. Today there is some. Today there is some visual aids. Oh, so I heard that last one. I think it was. Would you rather be in an elevator or on a? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or something stuck. Yes. What, what yeah. would you pick? Oh, the elevator. 
Really? The roller coaster doesn't do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> the way the elevators are around here, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We got the slowest ones we could. Yep. I think they got on Amazon and ordered, you know, slowest descending order and bam. With incoming phone calls, no less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you gotten one you of those? You ever gotten a scam call in the elevator? No. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's happened to me like two or three times. Cast yeah. audience. I got to give uh-huh. it to them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're visual aid. You ready? Yeah, we're okay. getting off track here. Oh, God. <gasps> Ricky. What well, the hell is that? These, these are, it's an individual question for each person. Okay. Well, what kind of music was this guy listening to at this time? Oh, do you got a picture of him? Is that how I this do. is going? <laughs> 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 but I had to start with this one oh. because damn. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That is so fun. Yeah. I, I, love uh, that picture. I don't know. I've always listened to older stuff. So yeah. probably the same stuff I'm listening to now. So probably the Eagles, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Boston, Led Zeppelin, the old stuff. Yeah. All right. Put that away. Nice. That's nice. Terrifying. Okay. Let's show. I'm yeah. Sure. Show the studio audience. Right. Look that's never, bo- that's never going boss. anywhere. Yeah. No, no. All right. We're done with that. You can actually turn that over. Okay, okay, okay. Whoa. Whoa, no. (laughs) It keeps getting worse. Okay, mine's not that bad. Where the heck did you get that? (laughs) I I think that's like my passport picture from when I was 13. How did you get that? Secrets. Secrets. Passport picture? Did you get traffic We work in a place that can do things. All right. That's nice on the phone board. That's... Yeah. So what kind of music were we listening to? I might have been listening to like The Cure... Plan of Zymox. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Am what I that saying is? more words you don't know, Ricky? Yeah, no, I, I know, the, I know cure. the cure. Yeah, okay. That other one sounds like a detergent. <laughs> wow, my hair. It doesn't okay. look all that straight in this. Just gonna say. Yeah. There's a wow, a lot I could deconstruct there. Okay, so any other anything else? Uh, no, no. All right, sorry. All right. All right. All right. This next one. This all is right, gonna next be. Next one. <laughs> now he's scared. Oh. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. It's been around. Yeah. Yeah. What were uh, what were you listening to on the radio around this time? I have no idea. No. (laughs) (laughs) You just drove around in the car, listened to the police radio. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. Did it have a good beat? Uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) What about some of these other Uh, guys? Yeah. Any idea? No idea. Who do we got here in this? By the way, that's obviously Chief Stefan, retired Chief Stefan. Who's the other guy? Guy named Gary Swanhart, who right. is a narcotics detective. All right. Nice. We, we didn't blur their faces. Is it okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think so. That's probably somewhere around 1993. Oh yeah. Yep. Nice. All right. All right, Ashley. Where's yours? I did. I did. Good. Oh, I hope so. I did. There we go. Look at that. There's me. What were you listening to? Uh, very similar to you. Okay. Um, Led Zeppelin was my jam. Um, 70s, 80s rock. And then I also, was, I really liked Bob Marley. Nice. At the time. So, yeah. You, you didn't partake in any of that stuff. I otherwise did not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be with us. I did not. Six, right? <laughs> but yeah. music is legit. Yeah. So. Good stuff. <laughs> Everybody else that you picked had good hair in their photo. Except, except, except me. Except, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> except you. All right. What do you I mean? had very 80s hair. But that's well, you know, what it was. Yeah. I know. I know. All right. Know. All right. That does, almost doesn't even look like you, Ricky. I know. I know. It I also know. looks like it was taken in the 90s, which I know it was not. It could have been. Might as, I, I am an old soul, so it could have been. We can put that away now. 80s. <laughs> we have other, yeah. Yeah. We have other important <laughs> things to talk about. 
right, so that was actually a scary one. That was scary. When, yeah. As soon as yeah. you started pulling pictures out, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I thought so. I was used to these icebreakers. Yeah, I, I don't trust you I anymore. I threw, visual I aids. A, I threw a curveball. Yeah, visual aids. Wow. Yeah, I don't need an anxiety pillow. All right, so. Um, <laughs> You fooled me. I did. <laughs> you did. You had us all fooled. <laughs> like you're nervous to talk to the sheriff. All right. So, uh, sheriff, a lot of people know a lot of things about you based on what's in the media, all that good stuff. We want to kind of really get to know you, talk about your past, your history, what brought you here, how you got here, and all that good stuff. So, um, we'll, just, we'll start from the top. So, you're born and raised in, in Syracuse. Right. What was your childhood like? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, lived in the snow belt, cold weather, upstate New York, um, you know, as they say, born and raised, and lived there until after high school, and then moved down here um, about 1980. Okay, so, and your dad was the district attorney up there. Mm-hmm. So how how was that? What was that like? Were you always well-behaved because you want to get in trouble, or, or how'd that work out? You know, I, you know, I was probably, it, it's probably what influenced me to get involved in this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was the district attorney of Onondaga County, um, and my grandfather was a judge. Everybody were lawyers. Everybody's involved in the legal system. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, especially as a kid, um, was, you know, probably what people would call today, you know, rule follower. I didn't really get in trouble, um, you know, started working at a young age and just did my thing. And where'd you work? Grocery stores. Um, you know, lots of them. That's what you did back then. And, you know, as a young kid, had, had a paper route and didn't, you know, out there shoveling snow and delivering papers at, you know, zero degrees and <laughs> six feet of snow. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then started working in uh, some big grocery store chains up there. Mm-hmm. And then, so with your family involvement, I mean, were you always like law enforcement 100%? That's what I want to do? Yeah, and I don't know where it came from. You know, it, you know they say, you know, when, when people are young and, you know, they want to be a cop, want to be a fireman, and then it just kind of goes away. Well, I don't know. I never said it away. never went away, you know. So, um, and I was involved in the Explorer program. and Up there. Yeah, up there. Mm-hmm. And did, you know, the ride-alongs and all the stuff that goes with that. And just thought it was what I wanted to do. And it just, it's that bug that just never went away. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, came down here and wanted to pursue it down here. So what brought your family to Florida? Just a variety of things. I think, you know, both at that time, my mother and father both moved down here. I was young. They were here. So they initial. so they came down before you came down. Yeah. Actually, my father was down here first okay. and then I came down and then she came, my mother came down after that. But, um, yeah, so he was here already when I, and so I graduated from high school. You know, as I always say, you know, I, I did um, post-secondary education the hard way. Uh, I started going to community colleges up there. I didn't like it. Uh, education wasn't really my thing back then. And, you know, and then just decided it was time to get out of town and come south. So you're saying you weren't a good student? Um, no, I wasn't a good student. I mean, I could do it. I just didn't like it. <laughs> and so I could care less about it and just didn't do it, you oh. know. So... You know, I mean, I mean, I graduated from high school. That's good. Yeah, sometimes I wonder how, but now you come across as an intellectual. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the perception well, of you, I think. For yeah, sure. but you know, you know, I, I, you know, of course, I did it the hard way, and I encourage people not to do it the hard way. The easy way is you just keep going, mm-hmm. and so you know, when I came down here, I realized that you know, at some point, I needed to go down the education route. So. 
people will ask, you know, where, where did you go to college? And the easier answer to the question is in the entire Tampa Bay region mm-hmm. is, is that where didn't I go? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I stopped and started every place from St. Leo to St. Pete College to USF. To, you everywhere. Know, you, you, everywhere, you name it. Like a hunter and gatherer of, of credits. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> you know, I need it, but I, I don't like it. So I you know, just kept stopping, starting, stopping, starting. You know, and then, of course, as they would say, I guess the rest is history. And, you know, eventually I figured it out that I liked it. It wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. And but I did it later on, which is the hard way to do it. So you you guys landed in Pinellas County, but was the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office always something you, you were wanting to pursue? No. You, you know, um, I didn't know, you know, back then I was young. I was in my, you know, I was 20, whatever, and really didn't. You know, coming from the north, I guess up there, especially the sheriffs and the sheriff's offices up there are not the premier agencies like they are here in Florida. So I didn't really know the dynamic and the layout. And um, went through, you know, back then, what still exists today, the Pinellas Police Applicant Screening Service was mm-hmm. screened for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I first went through that and um, was looking to get hired by a city police department. Mm-hmm. So I went through PASS, as it's called. Mm-hmm. And um, applied everywhere. You, you just you know go after it, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's pretty much what I did. But you started at the jail. I did. I started the jail uh, because back then it was hard. A lot of agencies weren't hiring, mm-hmm. and so, so everybody I, starts in jail. Back then, no, think, no, okay. no. Mm-hmm. You could you could you could get hired on the road, but um, it, it was you know probably not the easiest thing, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a lot of openings, and it was very competitive and. So I started in the jail because I knew somebody that was here Mm -hmm. that said they had openings like we do now. I mean, nothing's changed in the last 40 years is that where do we have all our openings in the jail? So Mm -hmm. if you you want to get hired and you want to get your foot in the door, go start Start there. there. So, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have done that. Um, So yeah, I was, I had applications out everywhere, Gulfport, Dunedin, Clearwater, St. Pete, Mm -hmm. I mean, everywhere, Everywhere. just, you just pepper them out there and, but nothing was happening. And then the jail opportunity came up. And so I said, why yeah. not? Why not? How was it? No fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus then, right? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. twenty. It would have been twenty well, for him. It, it's probably about fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It was, yeah, you know, you know, you know, and it, it was great. You know, I I couldn't imagine doing the job I do now without having had that time working back there because it's like everything else mm-hmm. is is that. You know, some of the dynamics change, but, you know, police work today is the same as police work was 30 and 40 years ago. The technology changes, you know, where you put the forms change, how you check the boxes change. But dealing with people, talking to people, dealing with domestics, making a all that, it's no different today than it was back then. And working in the jail is no different. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, the jail we have now uh, in what we now call South Division, which we used to call the Max Facility. So I actually started when the old Clearwater Jail in downtown Clearwater was okay. was still open. Okay, And that was the new facility. And so we went out to the new facility, uh, which was South Division. And I worked those fours, you know, Charlie, Delta, Echo Wing, all that stuff. I worked those fours. I worked those pods. Mm-hmm. And it's no different. The cells are the same cells they were right. 40 years ago. Literally, so some of them. The same issue. No, literally. It's, yeah. Nothing's changed. You know, I think we might have changed the door here or there over the last 40 <laughs> years. But other than that, and, you know, dealing with inmates that don't like you uh, mm-hmm. is no different. So, it, no, it's a real, a very valuable experience. And one of the things that's kind of an irony, I guess, is, is I remember people asking me back then. So I was like, you know, like 20 years old. And I remember going to the orientation and then going through all that stuff. And 
people ask, uh, you know, why do you want to be here in the jail? If you want to be a cop, you want to be on the street, why are you here? And, and I distinctly remember answering that question to a guy. He said, well, you never know what the future brings. You know, it may help you out down the road. Mm-hmm. So, you know, little did I know. There you are. That mm-hmm. would, well, How and, true that would be? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the things I remember, though. And it, it, and, and it did ring true, yeah. you know, 30-something years later. Well, also, some folks that we've had on, too, that start, like uh, Sergeant Killian, for example, mm-hmm. said that just working in the jail made him a better cop because he'll learn how to talk to people and, and deal with those situations. So that has to be part of it as well. Oh, well, there's no doubt about that, is that, you know, you learn how to take care of yourself, you learn how to talk to people. And, you know, frankly, especially back then, it's very different. You know, you, you, you know, it's called what it is. You, you learn how to protect yourself. You learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. You learn how to deal with people that don't like you and want to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And, and back then you had no equipment. So, you know, today, you know, the detention deputies have all kinds of equipment. They have tasers, they have handcuffs, they have all kinds of stuff to use. Back then, literally, you had nothing. They wouldn't even let you back then. You didn't have a stick? No. And, and back then, this was the early 80s, the deputies in the jail is, is that you weren't even allowed to carry handcuffs. Wow. Sergeants carried handcuffs. Deputies couldn't couldn't carry them, and so the only thing you had was your hands. So let me show you how old, how long ago it was back then. Is that they just had just they were in the process of changing it just after I started. So sergeants wore silver badges. Sergeants didn't even wear gold back then, and it was all and they were called correctional officers, not deputies. Mm-hmm. They had a different patch, and it was a different mm-hmm. everything. But equipment was non-existent. I mean, there's no prostrate chairs. There's none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was there were single cells. And you had your mouth to de-escalate things, but they didn't call it de-escalation back then. You had your power of reasoning with people. And when all that didn't work, then you did what you had to do. So were, good, were you in some good fights? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell yeah. us about them? Yeah. Anything stands yeah. out? I remember the first time getting all bloodied up, and we wore white shirts. And I remember there was a guy back in B-Wing, and there's three cells back there. B-Wing was a medical mm-hmm. wing and single isolation cells. Mm-hmm. And there was a notorious guy, I'm sure he's long past by now, and a big guy, and he used to get arrested all the time. Uh-huh. And he'd be back there, and he's just totally uncooperative and would just sling feces at you and oh. urine, and it was just a mess. He had all kinds of mental health issues. And he would never come out of his cell. And he said, you got to go in and get him. And There's no CRT then, right? No, no CRT. Yeah. No, it was, you had your hands, and that's it. And you go in, and... Yeah, that was, I remember that one because I came out just really covered in blood and it was a mess. Was it yours? It, both. I mean, yeah. he was a big guy. He fought, mm-hmm. you know, but you learn how to, but the point of it is you learn how to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So it is, and it's more of a controlled environment, certainly than the street. Right. So you learn how to talk to people. You learn how to deescalate. But when sometimes, you know, in our world, in our business, you can't deescalate and mm-hmm. sometimes just stuff happens. So you do learn how to take care of yourself. You learn how to, uh, reason with people and then uh, deal with the situations you have to deal with it. So, no, there was a lot back then. Uh, it was very different than it is today in that respect. So was there anything growing up in the environment that you grew up in, was there anything that was like you were really surprised by getting your first law enforcement job per se? Was there anything that kind of caught you by surprise you weren't anticipating or expecting? No, I can't think of anything. You know, I, I think it's pretty much because, I, you know, you know, up there – because I, I, you know, as a kid growing up, as a teenager, I worked and I did ride-alongs with the city cops. I mean, that's about all I did. So um, I, I had been out there. I, you know, I, I knew what was going on out there and kind of knew what to expect. All right. What was the like allure for you, like as a kid wanting to be? Was it like getting bad guys? Was it helping people? 
did you have like a was there a certain part of yeah, the job? Usually, that there's you were a division really in law enforcement. You either want to get the bad guys or drive cool cars. Or it's usually, it's usually <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, I, you know, and it's a hard question to answer Is because it? for me, because I just kind of got hooked into it, and then it just kind of stayed. Yeah. You know, I would say looking back, I mean, I, 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 and I still do today. I think have a real. I think a sense of right and wrong, and I really mm -hmm. can't stand wrong. I really hate it uh, when people uh, don't do the right thing yeah. and they do the wrong thing by others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people will give you the stock answer, and it is a stock answer. You know, I want to help others and all that stuff. And, you know, 99.999% of everybody comes into an interview and gets asked the question, why you want to be a cop? I want to help others. And, okay, but, you know, what, do, what does that translate to and what does yeah. that really mean? And I think for me what it means is... You know, I can't stand it when people don't treat other people right and they take advantage of vulnerable people and they do do them wrong. Yeah. And I think that that's what, you know, probably if there is something I had to say, that's probably a motivator. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you're there for about a year, maybe not quite a year, because then uh, you go to Dunedin PD. So <laughs> was that a situation where they picked up that old pass application and called you or, or what happened? Oh, I mean, I was there for a year and I said, I got to get out of jail. I got to get out of this place. You know? That's a common and, thought. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I never stopped really. I mean, because, you know, I went there and it was great. Mm -hmm. It was, and there's a lot of great work being done. But that was what it was. Though. They were hiring. They, mm -hmm. you get on the road. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then once you get in there and you find out, well, yeah, but it's going to be a little bit down the road and it's not so easy. And, you know, and so, I still had all my applications and everywhere, and I was still checking periodically, checking periodically. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of locked my sights in on Dunedin. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there was a guy who was a captain up there back then, and uh, Bob Hayworth was the chief of police. He mm -hmm. had come from St. Pete, and mm -hmm. he was the chief. And a guy named Sam Rainey was a captain up there. And I knew some people at Dunedin, um, and I knew they had openings. So, <laughs> is that I literally went every single week and went to the front desk and asked to talk to Captain Rainey. And most of the time, they say he's busy, he's not available. And because that's back in the day, I mean, there's no cell phones or right. email or anything. And so I just kept going and going and going. And then one day, I remember I showed up and uh, I showed up at the front desk. And he came to the front desk and he was a big guy, like mm -hmm. big, just overbearing guy, huge guy. And he came, and he was, you know, had a good old Southern drawl to him, and he came to the front <laughs> desk. And I remember he looked at me, and he said, boy, what are you doing? And I said, <laughs> and I said, well, Captain, I want a job. And he said, you certainly are tenacious. I said, yep, and I want a job. He said, well, come on back. So I went back in his office and sat down, and he offered me a job. Wow. So it was just one of those things where I just kept going back. I wasn't going to stop going back until I was just such a pain in the neck to them. Yeah, and, you were the squeaky and that's wheel. What happened. So you know how many people are going to try that with you now? <laughs> they're just going to be waiting out the lobby yeah, asking to talk yeah. to you for the next year. The problem is you come in the front door, though. Mm -hmm. you know, true. It's like they'll get you. It's vulnerable. <laughs> that's true. Um, so why, why, why did Eden? Was it just because you knew, you knew people there and that was kind of, yeah. you thought you had the best shot? I knew people there, you know, had a good reputation and it's really a place I thought I could get hired. You mm -hmm. know, I, like I said, you know, I was trying to do other, but they just weren't hiring. It was mm -hmm. yeah. just, you know, the opportunities weren't there. They didn't have the openings. Um, the other one I was, because they had openings, I knew I could, you know, had a chance was uh, Gulfport. Mm -hmm. uh, St. Pete, Clearwater, where they, again, it just was, it's all about timing and Dunedin had the openings. I knew yeah. people. Mm -hmm. And then the other people that were there were kind of talking to, 
Sam Marini as well and kind of put in a, you know, a word for me and that's just how it all works. And so it was just an opportunity, but I mean, I just went every week mm-hmm. and, you know, finally, Got it done. I, you know, and I think he had a couple other choice words that we won't use, about, <laughs> but, but I remember him distinctly saying that, uh, hey, you are tenacious. I said, uh-huh. Yep. I want a job. So, so the your first day then. So I mean, I'm sure there's FTO just like there is now and everything mm-hmm. for that Eden. I'm sure, or was it? You know, here's yeah. the car keys. Don't get killed. No, I mean that's that's kind of how the jail was. Mm-hmm. Um, the jail was, you know, show up, you go through a small orientation, and basically there you go. You mm-hmm. know, here's literally a set of keys, and you know there are a bunch of people that don't like you and go, <laughs> you know, thrive. Yeah, really, no, seriously, <laughs> it's you know pretty much what it was. Mm-hmm. And, but no, Dunedin wasn't that way. I mean, they're, you know, professional and um, went to the police academy and, you know, people don't even probably know where it was the, they called it PVTI back then, Pinellas Vocational Tactical Institute. That's where the police academy is housed, oh, yeah. right there off of 58th Street in High Point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the uh, PTAC campus now. Yeah. And, okay. and a lot of people. So I went to the police academy, you know, I guess now um, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. 1983. And um, there were people in there from the sheriff's office, from Clearwater. Um, Don Eden had a few. And so we went through the police academy. So and they, they hired you and paid you to go to the police academy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so they actually paid you. That, that was the standard way back then. Okay. There was, the sponsorship things weren't a big Most everybody back then, I mean, Largo had people in at Clearwater, Largo, St. Pete, Tarpon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but majority of them, I think in that whole class we had, we had a pretty big academy class. I think in that only two people were sponsored. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning that they weren't being paid and they weren't hired. So, no, you, you yeah. got hired by the agency, you got a paycheck. Yeah. You want, Makes sense. Yeah. Dunedin even paid for our lunches. Wow. Oh. While you're in the academy or always? No, while you're in the academy. Yeah. We used to go to the old Morrison's Cafeteria at East uh. Bay in 19 and <laughs> have lunch on the city every day. Nice. Mm. So the first day getting out there on your own then, that had to be gratifying, all that tenacity. And what was that like? Yeah, so uh, you know, I got out uh, and went to the FTO program. And some people who have been around here for a while uh, may know him because he was here when we took over Dunedin. Uh, Dave Littlejohn, who was a deputy yep. here, mm-hmm. was my uh, FTO when I got out. And so I was with him for a while and then got released from the FTO program. And yeah, I, I, I don't know about it. You can use the term hit the streets in Dunedin, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was you know, out there in Dunedin uh, and I spent uh, about a year there. So what, what kind of, I mean, you remember any memorable first calls or, or, you know? Yeah, one in particular, this was, and this actually came back uh, probably about six months ago now. Mm. It's kind of interesting. So I was working uh, midnights, and I was at County Road 1, which is also Keene, mm-hmm. and uh, 580. And there was a car in front of me. It was a Toyota, tan Toyota, and it blew the light going eastbound. And I went to stop it. We had these big Chevy, I don't know, Caprices or whatever they were. So I went to stop it. I flipped on the lights. There were no lights. They didn't go on. Oh. <laughs> the whole thing shorted out. No sour, no lights, no anything. But, uh. you know, because I was young and whatever is, is that, and they ran and, you know, how dare you run. Mm-hmm. So From the law. Exactly. I am law. So I remember chasing them and I chased them northbound on uh, County Road 1. They went into the Amberley subdivision and driving really fast and reckless. I mean, this was, they were trying to get away. 
So I was chasing them, and for you know all the deputies out there that are listening, don't do this. Different times, different times. So, but it was forty years ago. I mean, it's a different time, different policies, different way of doing things. And so I chased them with no lights, mm-hmm. and I chased them into Amberley Subdivision, and they wrecked into a house. And there were three guys in the car. Uh, one of them was in the back seat, two in the front. They bailed out. And I tried to chase down one of them. He got away, went back to the guy in the back seat. Well, anyway, there was a ton of blood inside the car. The car was just covered with blood inside. And it wasn't from the wreck. Mm-hmm. And so what it turned out that those guys, there was an old bar in Countryside Village Square, which is at Countryside at 19, called Penrod. Mm-hmm. They had just done an armed robbery there and Jackson people in the parking lot. But the car was stolen and they had murdered the owner of the car. And out in Oldsmar, off of Gimgong Road, which is off of Tampa Road, it's still there, is they picked him up over in Tampa, brought him there, uh, got a physical altercation with him, and they ran over him in his own car. And that's where all the blood came. And then they had put him in the car and back and forth and back and forth and ran over him. So wow. we ended up getting the other two guys. Uh, it was investigated by uh, Clearwater and then the sheriff's mm-hmm. office, uh, homicide people. So that was like this big, huge thing. And so uh, one of the guys, um, like six months ago, he's still, he's in uh, Florida State Prison today, still in prison, he got a life sentence, is that in one of our cold case homicides, that guy surfaced as a suspect. Mm. And um, yeah, they're still looking at him, but I think at, at this point it's probably not. So they brought this name to me like six months ago and said, you know, working this cold case, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, here's the possible suspect in it. I'm like, wow, you know, that's full a circle. Full circle. Yeah, we've got that note text. here actually because mm-hmm. uh, we did we did Tom our was research. Telling us about it. Who was Tom? Tom Land. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the cold text, case. So, corporal. Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yep. So that was a, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, sleepy Dunedin. You know, but it shows anything can happen anywhere, anytime. And what what other kind of things are going on in Dunedin crime wise at that time? I mean. It, there, there's always stuff, nothing. I mean, yeah, was, nothing you know, the bars downtown, mm-hmm. traffic, you know, mm-hmm. usual stuff. I'm, you know, the other thing that sticks out uh, back then was, and most people, if you know North County, you're familiar with Bayshore Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Well, Dunedin, their their main cruiser back then was these uh, Ford Fairmonts. Mm-hmm. And if you've been around, you remember Ford Fairmonts, and they were, you could not. I'm serious. You could not do a U-turn on Bayshore Boulevard and Dunedin, <laughs> one of those Ford Fairmonts. You couldn't turn it around. The thing was, uh. like, but that's what the primarily their fleet was. And then the big deal was, and everybody is that Dunedin only had red lights on their cruisers. They didn't have blue lights, hmm. and for whatever reason. And then finally, they got one cruiser that had red and blue. So everybody Ooh. scrambled to get the car that had the red and the blue. <laughs> everybody wanted to, you know, drive the car with the blue lights because there's no take-home cars back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> the race to get to that car. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, you fight for it. They're on eight-hour shifts then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We yeah, we had uh, days, evenings, and mids. Yeah. Eight-hour okay. shifts. Yeah. So what brings you to the sheriff's office then? Get out of Dunedin. <laughs> <laughs> it was too sleepy. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and some of the guys, and, and I remember there was a couple of people I left with at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back then is, is that, and they still don't, I don't think have any, is you could get close, but city of Dunedin has no part of the city is on US 19. Mm. 
So, you know, you want to get out there on US-19 and work traffic and do all the things that US-19 brings. So you could sit there and stare at US-19, but you couldn't go out on US-19. <laughs> Just so, out of reach. So it's like, hmm, we got to get out of here. So did someone approach you or you applied on your own? Or? There were a couple other guys there and we kind of all decided at the same time we were going to... Abandoned Dunedin? Yeah, make a mass exit. And, <laughs> but, and the, but you now, got now, it back at the end. Now at, that point, now, at that point, the sheriff's office was like really hiring, like actively hiring. Mm-hmm. And especially certified people that had some experience. So uh-huh. at that point, they were there was aggressive hiring going on here. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty easy. Um, and the three of us basically left at the same time. They weren't real happy in Dunedin about it, but <laughs> it's whatever. So so obviously today we have a really good working relationship with all the other municipal agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, was that always the case? How was the sheriff's office perceived among municipal agencies back then? About the same... Rivalry. Well, I, I think it's varied over time. Mm-hmm. It depends upon, you know, who's leading the organizations, you know, who the sheriff is and who the police chiefs are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say over time, the level of collaboration and cooperation and partnerships is that, like so many things, that it's varied. Mm-hmm. It's waxed and it's waned. And um, it, it truly has been up and down over time. So you get to the sheriff's office. What kind of equipment are patrol deputies carrying? We got revolvers. What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I came, we had. In fact, we've got it now. One of the you know older cars that we have that we towed around, which is a Dodge Diplomat. Mm-hmm. And those things were great cars. They screamed. They were fast. They were. We had uh, Plymouth Grand Furies and Dodge Diplomats, mm-hmm. and so those were the cruisers um, set up the way you see that one that's out there now. It's. You know, I mean, I probably drove that one mm-hmm. at one point, but. Um, and yeah, yeah, 38s. Uh, we had three-inch gun belts back then, so the buckles were huge, and mm-hmm. everybody complained about them. So they're all so big. But uh, and you didn't really equipment-wise. You had a flashlight, you had a gun, you had a nightstick, and uh, a shotgun. And not a collapsible nightstick either. So. No, no, no. You had. You didn't carry that on your belt, or did you? No, you know you do, you, okay. but it wasn't collapsible. It, is it, you had a an O-ring on there? It mm-hmm. sat, sat in there, and it looked pretty funny some, running with it. Some people. Uh, not really. No. no. <laughs> Slap any while you're running. Some people would. Some people carry the big black ones, and some had the traditional old wood ones. Uh, just varied. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flashlights are the big D cell ones. The well, big so, giant. Some did, yeah, yeah. Some did, yeah. They were, you know, could, you know some stories about those things, but uh, <laughs> ones that are acceptable for the public. But uh, yeah, what kind of stories? <laughs> flashlight stories. They're, they're projectile weapons, right? But they're big, though. And then, and then they went to we went to what was then considered to be this, you know, state of the art, cutting edge, new technology, and it was a flashlight called the Source. Mm. And the Source was a rechargeable flashlight. Didn't have it weren't, they weren't the big Kellites as they were called back then. The big, mm. which basically just metal tubes with batteries. And so we uh, went to the source, and the source um, had two prongs on the end that kind of like what happens today with a drive stone with a taser. Um, and it was the big, you push a button and an arc would have, and it would oh, shock wow. somebody. Oh, so, you, really? so you had on one I end, of the, heard of those. One end wow. of the flashlight, you had the stinger part of it, uh-huh. and then the other end was the flashlight part mm-hmm. of it. Gosh. The problem with them was they didn't hold a charge real well in the light. Wow. So they were around for a few years, so the equipment was... Gun, shotgun, flashlight, nightstick. Um, that's about it. <laughs> Didn't really have anything else. So then, how long were you in patrol for? A few uh, years. You, okay, and then ended up ended up in narcotics. So while mm. you're out of patrol, though, first of all, did you see a, a noticeable difference? Obviously, where you're working is a huge difference. But as far as equipment, support, all that stuff, working at the sheriff's office versus with the city. 
Back then, it was basically the same. Okay. There really wasn't a lot of difference because I don't know that there's a lot of available equipment to have so many different, you know, so many differences. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things the sheriff's office always had, which was was the computers in the cars. None of the cities had any computers mm-hmm. in the cars. But back then, is they were dumb terminals. Uh, they were they called basically like an etch a sketch, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, it was that bad, but it was. But they, they didn't work half the time. Mm-hmm. And, they were transmitted because there was no cellular, so they transmitted over RF. So you had your police radio, and then you had another radio, and the thing would just gurgle all night long <laughs> because it's all the data that's going over it. And they had mm-hmm. these two big whip antennas on the back of the car, mm-hmm. and the thing wouldn't work half the time. So you sit there and you like beat it trying to get it to work. <laughs> um, Did that work? I don't know, but it made you feel better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get so. that. So, yeah, we do that in our office too. So you just so smack cool. it, smack it a few times, and then it transmits, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it works. You feel better. Yeah. yeah. So um, no, we, that's one of the things to share. But about differences, that's about it. Okay. Really, is the computer um, and you know the radios. It, it wasn't digital like it is now. It's all analog. It's all mm-hmm. different. I remember working midnights and every single night in the transmission because you'd hear. Cross City Police Department mm. up in Central wow. North yeah. Florida. North Florida. Cross City. And I still remember it. I guess I got PTSD over that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, no, nah, it was, uh, everything's pretty pretty similar. And I worked, when I first started, I ended up, first shift I got, so I came from Dunedin, mm-hmm. got out of the FTO program. And for the first two shifts, I ended up in South Pasadena. Uh. <laughs> It was like all the excitement please. of the world. Uh, well, I, I made it exciting. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you I just, can always find stuff. I just well, you got all those drunks coming over from yeah. St. Pete Beach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I used to I put a lot of people in jail out of South Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't residents of people passing through, right? Yeah, yeah. welcome to South Pasadena. Yeah, one there was a bar. It's still there. That bar at Seventy Fifth and Biden Pass. Mm-hmm. It was called the Hurricane back then, and a lot of a lot of drugs, a lot of stuff in there. I remember one night. Yeah, and I took four DUIs in one night. Oh, yeah. and that was you driving them all the way to the jail? Yeah, and like yeah, going back. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but it was yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but but I, but I was a breath test operator. You did your own back then. So, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I okay. just did the whole thing. Did the whole. You do the FST. Put them in a car. Drive to the jail. Do the breath test. Quick, fast. Get the paperwork. Go back down. Boom. Mm-hmm. Did so you could. I did four in one night. <laughs> Dang. Wow. So um, what other types? Of, I mean, so did you like working DUI investigations? Yeah. Yeah. Any other types of calls you enjoyed? Yeah. Well, anything that's in progress and action calls, you know, so then I got out of South Pasadena and worked in Wellman, uh, worked in Seminole, worked a little bit over in Baskins, worked different areas and mm-hmm. then went uh, North County. Uh, so I was working up in the North End uh, for a while. And actually, I left patrol. Um, I went to burglary. Mm. So I was a CID burglary detective. Why'd you do that? Because it was an opportunity to advance. They had openings. Uh, I, when I went to North End, I did a lot of investigations, and I guess they liked the work. And the captain up there said, you know, we have an opening. Are you interested? I said, sure. So I went to burglary. Is that, I feel like that's still kind of, you know, the way the deputies uh, advance or try to, you know, try to get their foot in the door somewhere is if they're out on patrol, they're working that certain type of call. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good way to kind of get the attention of whoever you need to. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, what people need to know is, is that – you need to be your own best champion sometimes. And mm-hmm. you can do that by how you write reports, what you put in the reports, the investigative work you do. And if you do some really 
uh, significant investigative work, just document it, report, mm -hmm. uh, let everybody read it. You know, you should get credit for the work you did. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that back then, you know, quite a bit. I'd, you know, take on some of these investigations and then write these mammoth reports mm -hmm. and just to, to, you know, document it all. Before we, so, and you went from burglary to narcotics? Well, that's not, it's a long story. It's not that simple. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was working burglary stuff and got involved in this case where it was a really a ring that was involved in narcotics. Mm. So it became uh, a really complex case with a whole lot of tentacles to it. And these people were out of Polk County and out of Clearwater Beach and they were all over the place. So this burglary case kind of turned to a dope case. Mm. And I started working the dope aspect of it. And liked it. that's just kind of, well, and so I was still assigned to burglary, but then the dope people, because they were known to the FBI and known to our narcotics people at the time, and I started working with them, and then I kind of got TDY'd over there. Mm. So it just kind of morphed. Mm. Um, it was never anything where I said, oh, I want to go work drugs. Mm. Um, it just kind of happened because of that case. And that turned into like six months, which turned into eight months, and turned into a year, and finally the supervisors in the burglary unit said, um, excuse me, um, you know, either stay over there or come back <laughs> okay. because somebody needs to work your area. So right. I ended up staying over there. Huh. Before we get into that, there was another cold case deal, wasn't there, from when he was in patrol? Um, yes. This one here. That one, yeah. Yep. So there was uh, Shirley Badger Trenner was another case that you encountered that popped up. So you're, mm. you're popping up in cold cases. Um, yeah. So this was a, there was a, it was a murder, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So then they developed um, a suspect and then you ended up getting the guy on a warrant. You remember that at all? Yeah. Not offhand. You mm. know, I don't, I mean, it was, it, you know, you know, you know, I made a fair amount of arrests and pretty active out there. So right. I it's don't, just fun to see your name pop up yeah. in, uh, in things. <laughs> deputy De deputy, Galtier, yeah. deputy yeah. Galtier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, back then, I mean, just kept busy. You just kept doing your thing. Mm -hmm. All right. So narcotics. Yeah. You obviously, you had an act for it. That's how you end up there. Kind of accidentally, maybe kind of fall into it. But mm -hmm. once you kind of got in there, um, yeah. starting off as you get out there and start, Buying drugs, is that what everybody kind of does? Or no, no, not, not for me, not back then. I mean, I did later on, mm -hmm. um, and but not at first because I was working this specific case. And then this specific case turned into a wiretap case, and it turned into a long-term case, and actually went on for a pretty significant period of time um, where we were able to uh, show a guy, several guys that were here locally who were getting kilos of cocaine from sources in Miami. And again, this is into the... Late 80s, early 90s, um, crack was becoming prevalent. There was a lot of coke, a lot of crack on the street, a lot of stuff coming out of South Florida. And um, it turned into more of these long-term wiretap investigations. And um, so I was working closely with DEA people. A lot of the cases got prosecuted federally through the U.S. Attorney's Office and federal court, not the state court, not mm -hmm. through the state attorney's office. So I you know, kind of got into those cases early on. Mm. And then I went to, there's an opening on the, uh, DEA has task force. Mm. Uh, and I spent four years in Tampa working out of the DEA mm -hmm. office on the DEA task force. So I did that and a lot of international stuff, money laundering cases, you know, really all over the country. Uh, and it seemed like just every case ended up being a wiretap case. Um, and then uh, came back out of the task force and then went back to more traditional 
you know, narcotics. You just cases. get tired that, of that, or sorry, Laura. I was going to say, is that is that when you grow the facial hair and the long hair and are undercover? And, you don't have to do that. Yeah. That's a, that's a real myth. You, you know, if you got money, people will sell you dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so you know, I went out there and made some drug buys. Do you remember your first buy? Yeah, from a guy down in St. Pete. Uh, it was for eight ball of cocaine, and you know. That's that's just acting. I mean, that's not. And, and, then, and then we did a lot of street level enforcement. There are a lot, a lot of problems in St. Pete, and they used to call it the green team. And you know, we wore green, and St. Pete wore green. Then they, they wear blue now. We used to go down there, and they had their green team. We go down there and help them. It was a lot of just chasing people on the street because drugs mm-hmm. and, and open air drug markets were so prevalent. Back oh then. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of um, street level stuff. Um, you know, I, I did. You know, and. You know, people need to make buys. I did it. I didn't do a lot of it because then I went back to work in some of these cases again. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind mm-hmm. of the, the narcotics. But I, was, I spent total probably about uh, probably about 10 years in narcotics. Oh, wow. Long time. I, yeah. Long time. Yeah. Any other big stories, fun cases from back then? Oh, there were a lot. I mean, I you know, I remember going out to Los Angeles and we had a guy who was part of a case and he had like five kilos of Coke and we were setting up a deal. And if you ever come out of LAX, it's still there. Uh, there's a Carl's Jr. on Century Boulevard. And I remember going out there and sitting there all day long for this guy to show up to this dope deal. And we took him off in the parking lot of Carl's Jr. right by LAX. And every time I'm out there now and I drive by, I'm like, I don't remember that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so w- what kind of case uh, would take deputies uh, out of state? I mean, that far of something. I mean, how does that work? Well, you know, it depends on the case, you know, and what you're trying to do is mm-hmm. that, yeah, you know, dope world is really pretty simple. It's all supply and demand. It's just like any other business. You know, you, you got low level, low level people that sell low level amounts all the way up to the sources, you know, and it's just like any other company, any other business. And so if you're working it up, then you're working it up into the sources. And sometimes those sources are in various places from, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, come out. Of, you know, I mean, normally back then, most of the dope was coming out of Miami. Some of it would come out of California. Some of it would come out of Texas. Some of it would come out of Arizona, usually coming up through the south uh, mm-hmm. and the west to the east. But then again, it was that I remember one case, and it was very significant. Uh, and it was a heroin case. And back then, we seized a kilogram of heroin. Uh, and it came in, we did a search warrant over in Tampa and the guy had a kilo of heroin, but it was, it had been imported and it came from Southeast Asia and it was sewn into the lining of ankle, I guess, length, uh, Mm -hmm. leather boots. And that turned out to be part of this big heroin importation case involving an Asian crime group uh, out of New York and, uh, dope was coming in Seattle and it was all, uh, in ice buckets and in between the insulation and the. Uh, stainless and oh, wow. ice buckets uh-huh. and all kinds of heroin. That case, we tried that case over in Tampa in federal court. And in the federal court system, they, the U.S. Attorney's Office, they don't have investigators. So when you do those cases, you end up working with the prosecutors for yeah. uh, on the cases. All the way through. You actually, if you're the case agent, you sit in the courtroom during trial. So you're there. And that case, that trial lasted about two months. Wow. Dang. And, and uh, we convicted a whole bunch of people out of that. So nice. there was a lot. I mean, over 10 years, I mean, it was mm-hmm. a, I, did a, I did a lot of cases and put a lot of people away. I mean, it's, you know, um, there's one guy I tracked is, is that uh, he got 35 years. Dang. And periodically over the years, I'd check and, yeah, I guess. Still there. Still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what after narcotics? 
back so, on the road? So, you know, I think the sheriff's office at that point was in a different situation. There wasn't a lot of room for movement. Um, so we're talking about mid-90s? Yeah, mid-90s. Okay. There wasn't a lot of room for movement. There hadn't been promotions in years. There was... Uh, literally, and there just wasn't much opportunity. And I was kind of at a point where, you know, stay or go. Mm-hmm. And because of all that drug experience, I had a lot of friends at the U.S. Attorney's Office and, you know, had been sitting through all those trials mm-hmm. and, you know, quite frankly, you know, looked at some of those people in the courtroom and some of those lawyers and said, yeah, I can do that. That's not mm-hmm. all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to leave and go to law school. And it was at a point where it's either stay or go, because once you reach that kind of point, mm-hmm. if you stay too much longer, then there's no sense in going because of retirement and yeah. stuff. So I decided to um, leave, go to law school. I really had no intention of coming back, but I, I didn't retire. I just left and uh, went to law school. Kept your certification? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't change anything. I mean, I just left went to law school and then just came back uh, or after, well, then I went to law school and I went to work for a, a firm in Tampa doing um, employment defense work. And it so happened, it was just a coincidence. It wasn't intentional. It was, the, it was a lot of federal court stuff, civil litigation and employment mm-hmm. defense work. But that firm represented mm-hmm. Pinellas County in employment stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and Sheriff Coates was in office at that point. He took office in 2003 after Sheriff Rice uh, left to go to the legislature. And... Um, and I had worked with him over time. Uh, he, you know, as a lieutenant, I think, as a captain, as a major, he was, and, and so we knew each other. And, you know, he was a big narcotics guy. Sheriff Coates worked narcotics for a long, long time. And so, uh, but he was a sheriff at the time, and they had some employment cases. So, I mean, I, I knew him, uh, but we kind of rekindled things, I guess you'd say, because mm-hmm. of the contact at that point. Mm-hmm. And so um, the general counsel for the sheriff's office retired. So he called me. We met for lunch. And next thing you know, uh, here I am. So uh, so, back as the general counsel. So when you left, though, to go to mm-hmm. law school, you, you, you kept your certification and everything. Did you, did you have any inkling at that point you were going to come back or just, no, but just I was, invested a lot in the career and want to keep it, keep it up? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it, you learn in life is the you, you don't close doors mm-hmm. and so you keep all your options open you know that's one of the reasons like you know now from from a from a purely personal perspective is how it works is if you leave here and you retire under the Florida retirement system and i was eligible to retire i, I was vested i had my time in i had my years in mm-hmm. so if i had retired and said okay i'm going to retire under frs i'm not going to just resign and retire mm-hmm. is that i can never go back in the retirement system mm-hmm. So that change back then would have been all it was. And, but now I, I left it sitting. I didn't close that door. I didn't close the door on anything. So mm-hmm. when I came back, uh, and I came back in, I don't know where it was, 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. 2006, I 2006, guess it was. Yeah. yeah, 2006. When I came back, um, I just picked right up where I left off, mm-hmm. you know, with, with all of this. Everything's still in place. Mm-hmm. So you just learn, don't, you know, don't. You never know what the future holds, and don't close your doors, and just leave all your options open. Right, which is solid advice, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, general counsel, which I don't want to talk about too much because we don't want people to be listening to this to help them go to sleep. Yeah, but 
What is the role of general counsel at the sheriff's office? Well, I mean, big picture and really quickly, it's everything under the sun that you can imagine in the practice of law. It truly is a general counsel's office. I mean, think about it. Even you know, today we got fifteen hundred cars, which means we got car wrecks all over the place. Mm-hmm. We got a jail with inmates, and you get all kinds of inmate lawsuits for a variety of things. You got cops on the street. You get excessive force claims. You got slip and falls. You've got. Uh, all kinds of enforcement-related things that are coming out of the civil system from mm-hmm. bank wrecks and evictions and levies and a process. So it's it's a big job. So uh, it really is. A but big job. but as general counsel, then so you had associate counsels. Then mm-hmm. still have we still have associate counsel today, obviously. But what is that? What does that look like? So things just get run by you, like I know they're assigned cases, but like what's the general flow of of work? Well, we're, we're, you know, today we do all our litigation in-house. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's really a law firm. Uh, I think we have six lawyers and several paralegals and legal assistants and, and do everything. The only thing we farm out is stuff that we can't handle because of volume or mm-hmm. because of conflicts. Mm-hmm. So it really is running a law firm is what it is. There's a, a big, huge general practice of law, um, you know, trying cases to um, transaction or contracts. I mean, we probably have close to a thousand different contracts and all those contracts have to be reviewed. And sometimes like anything in a business, sometimes there's disagreements, there's business disagreements. So you can end up in litigation over the contracts. There's so it's, it's, it's a lot a, of stuff, a lot of stuff at a wide, wide variety of things. So really quick, just jump back. When Sheriff Coates asked you to come back, was yeah. there any hesitation? No, because once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. Yeah, I mean, like this I, is a perfect marrying up of interests. And yeah, you yeah. know, and, and it was like, yeah, there was no question. I so, had no. So reason. you actively missed it while you were while you were being a lawyer. Did you think about it all the time? Um, did you yeah, see, no, did you see no, the cop cars go by and, and get all excited yeah. when you heard the sirens? Because I still do that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I, I, would, I had fun doing what I was doing. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that it was like, you know, because uh, I wasn't seeking it out. Mm-hmm. You know, he called me and the opportunity was there. And once the opportunity was there, it was 100% yes. But but it, no, I wasn't looking for it. Okay. Um, I really wasn't. I it was, you know, thinking about more at that point because I had been there for a period of time. I was thinking more about whether... I was going to stay there or go to another firm or open my own practice or what I was going to do. So I was more, probably more you know, engaged in that thought process than anything else. Was there anything that was tough for the transition coming back as general counsel? Was there anything that really was a roadblock or you just were rocking and rolling from day one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, was, it was pretty easy. Yeah. So you're general counsel for a couple of years uh, and then the chief deputy thing comes right. up. How, how did that happen? Yeah, so uh, the guy who was the chief deputy at the time retired, and Sheriff Coates asked me to take on that responsibility. So I had the dual role of general counsel and chief deputy. Um, you know, and no, I didn't get two paychecks, which you know, <laughs> <laughs> would have been two, nice. Two jobs, but yeah. uh, and it was a lot. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, it was a defining moment for us as an agency and probably one of the biggest issues uh, that we've ever faced. And that was in 2008, the beginning of the economic downturn. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the very first year, we had to cut $50 million from our budget back yeah. then and eliminate a whole lot of positions. And it was a, just a terrible time. So it was, you know, walking into that mm-hmm. and having to navigate that. You know, the chief deputy is in charge of all the operations, is really the, you know, put it in terms of people to understand the chief operating officer, if you will. And having to navigate through all of that um, was a challenge. Um, at, at what point through all that did, did you ever think about being sheriff? I mean, because once you make it to number two, 
there's only one more step. So did you ever, did you ever think about it? Uh, yeah, probably, but not actively. Mm-hmm. You know, I was more focused on just doing the job. You know, I enjoyed it, enjoyed it, enjoyed doing what I was doing. It was good, especially when I became the chief deputy, be able to put a uniform back on, get mm-hmm. out there, do it. I mean, that's the fun part to me. And I still try and get out there when I can, but mm-hmm. I did over a period of time. And, uh, but, but no, and until it really presented itself. And when Sheriff Coates announced that he was going to retire and his wife had cancer and, you know, that was that situation. So, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't say it's anything, it, it never anything I pursued. Now, you know, I'm, I'm now, you know, as you know, I mean, it's long, I've been, in my 13th year, you know, mm-hmm. between being the chief deputy and the sheriff, it's over 15 years now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, I, I really don't think about it. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how does that go down? So um, Sheriff Coates makes a decision to retire early because his wife was, was having some health issues and then you're appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, the governor call you? Yep. How'd that go? Yeah, I mean, it's a quick call. You know, mm-hmm. you have to apply. Mm-hmm. So they take applications, and several people applied when he announced he wasn't going to. So they, you go through a process. There's mm-hmm. a, you know, interview and a selection process. And, you know, it's the governor. He's busy. It's, you know, it's a quick call. It's professional. It's cordial. And, mm-hmm. you know, you say thank you, and there you go. And then you're just like, yep, mm-hmm. okay, no big deal. Ready to go. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You had no, like, oh, wow, this is cool. No, uh, there's work to do. You work know. to do. <laughs> you know, switch offices and keep going. So, so really quick, I just want to jump back to Chief Deputy Land for a minute because um, you you definitely had a knack for, and I think you still have a knack for solving problems uh, that really probably aren't your problem, but you don't want to deal with it, and it's the right thing to do. So, one of the the big things your Chief Deputy, I think, that really got you around the community was Pinellas Safe Harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a we had a big issue with homelessness and in different areas of the county. Right. Talk about how that kind of materialized, because I think that's really kind of a cornerstone of how you've kind of managed and done some of the things that we've gotten done is just saying, hey, we got to, somebody's got to do it. Uh, We're dealing with it already. So let's just do it right. Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer. The rubber needs to hit the road. You just get it done. Stop talking about it and just do something about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're just going to keep talking about it, then, you know, stop talking about it because nothing's going to get accomplished. So, you know, back then we had a big problem with the jail. Uh, again, we had budget issues that were still looming back then in 2010. We had overcrowding. Uh, the jail population was projected to be like about 3,800 people. Uh, we were at about, uh, at that point, I think we had about 3,600 with about 400 on the floor. Um, it was not sustainable uh, the way it was. It was a mess out there. It was an operational mess, and it was a safety issue. Yeah. Uh, for the deputies and for everybody. You just can't have that many people on the floor. And we're sort of looking at the population and seeing what's causing this. And the majority of it was people that were in there on social crime. And the majority of it was pretrial misdemeanors, some sentence misdemeanors. And it was all social crime. It was disorderly conduct for urinating in public. It was trespass. It was all those minor things that were a lot of those people. And the problem was, is the cops were doing what cops do to solve a problem and removing the person from the situation. When somebody's on Central Avenue in St. Pete in front of a restaurant, they're urinating on the window when people are trying to eat dinner. What's the cop going to do? Because, but they had no place to take them. Mm-hmm. So they had no choice. There's, there's, there's no services. There's no place. So we started having a bunch of meetings, the chief judge, state attorney, public defender, mayors in Clearwater and St. Pete and all over the place. And we had meetings. And we had meetings. <laughs> and we kept having meetings and nothing was getting solved. And 
So because of the economic downturn, that uh, what is now Safe Harbor used to be a bus depot mm -hmm. uh, for PSTA, you know, years and years and years ago. And then it got turned into a jail facility. It was a direct supervision housing unit. So it was part of the jail itself. It was actually part of the jail. But we closed it because we didn't have the staff and laying people off, which also led to the overcrowding issues in the jail because of everything that was closed. Yeah. So I was looking at it and said, you know, there's a better way. Uh, all these people are just talking. Uh, you had people storming out of meetings. Everybody's mad at each other. It's just the whole, it's just nothing was getting done. And again, I, you know, traction, you need traction, rubber has to hit the road, just get it done, figure it out, you know, solve it and figure it out. So, so we got this facility. Um, we got too many people in the jail and we're criminalizing homelessness. And why don't we open a facility that's a diversion from the jail and get these people services and try and get them help and try and break that cycle of homelessness. And at the same time, we can reduce the crowding in the jail and be more cost effective. Mm -hmm. Because so back then, today it's about $155 a day to house somebody in the county jail. Back then it was probably you know, about $110, $115 a day. And so we opened Safe Harbor, we were, housing, we were housing people there, and we were housing them there for, I think then originally it was about $13 a day. Oh. And plus we're getting them services. And so mm -hmm. we opened it in uh, early uh, 2010, I believe it was, we opened it. And, um, and <laughs> naively I thought that the population would kind of gradually uh, increase there. Well, we went from zero to like 400. But it had the desired effect because the jail population significantly decreased yeah. mm. and we were keeping people out. And so it, it pretty much up until COVID, it pretty much stayed at about 400 in that 400 range. Sometimes we're 425, sometimes, you know, 375, but pretty much in that 400 range uh, for, for many years uh, up until uh, 2020. Um, so that's kind of the history of Safe Harbor. Yeah, it was a, it was a significant thing. It really got your name out there. A lot of people were familiar with you at the, mm -hmm. the different municipal levels because of because of all that. Well, some people didn't like it at first, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, people aren't used to, you know, let's, let's solve the problem and get it done. And people were like, no, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, I can watch. And, you know, <laughs> we did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember people back then, there was the Homeless Leadership Alliance and you had all these different leadership, or, you know, homeless leadership organizations. You know, you can't do it that way. You got to go through us. You got to do, no, you all have had plenty of opportunity to talk yeah, about it. I'm going to kick the can down the road. No, we're going to get it done. And, and now, and and it is significant is is that the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office is the largest provider of homeless services in Pinellas County. So I mean, think about that. Is is that as a law enforcement organization, we're the largest provider of homeless services. I don't know of any other law enforcement organization in the country that has that role. Mm -hmm. um, you know, others are involved in things, so it's really unique. Uh, you know, I've offered over time, many times, uh, for in somebody, you know, people can and should ask the question, what are you doing that for? Why are you doing it? Well, one, it's the right thing to do by people. Two is, is that it helps to manage the jail. It is a jail diversion program and it manages the, the crowding and it's uh, the fiscally right thing to do because what, what will we do with all those people in the jail and how could we afford it? And when you look at like today, uh, it's about $25 a day at Safe Harbor or $155 a day at the jail. So, I mean, it's a no brainer as mm -hmm. to, you know, that it's cost effective. But as I say to all these social service organizations, is anybody wants to come run Safe Harbor, I'll turn it over to you. 
but we're no what, takers. 13, 13 <laughs> years into it now, and nobody said, oh, yeah, we'll take it on. So right. We just keep doing it. Uh, all right. So uh, back to sheriffing now. So uh, there are people don't, uh, and that was the only time we're going to go off and talk about cool policy stuff because we're going to have to bring it back another time to do that. There's just so much stuff. But as far as the office of sheriff in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, it is pretty different. I mean, people come, you mentioned obviously in New York, not a premier agency, different part, you know, Michigan, places like that. But, you know, Florida, Texas, and California kind of have this uh, where sheriffs are usually the, you know, the premier agencies, they have a lot of power. Um, talk about that a little bit, the differences. Well, if in Florida, the sheriffs are truly independent constitutional officers. You know, people sometimes think that the sheriff the sheriff's office is part of county government. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, don't work for the county commission. Don't work for the county administrator. Truly independent and work directly for the people. And that's the way that the crafters of the Florida Constitution created it. And I think it works extremely well here in Florida. So around the country, um, there are some states that don't even have sheriffs. Like Hawaii doesn't have sheriffs. Delaware doesn't have sheriffs. There's a few that don't. The majority do to some degree, but they do different things. Mm-hmm. In some places, the sheriffs do nothing other than operate the jail. In some places, they do the jail and courts. Some places, they do the courts. Some places, they do a little bit uh, as it relates to some sort of, some form of policing. But to be the uh, predominant, largest uh, police organization, that is something that's unique with Florida sheriffs. Um, And I don't know of a county in Florida where the sheriff isn't the largest police provider in that county. And and just for our listeners, unincorporated areas of the county uh, and any contract cities, the contract is, is who the sheriff is, is responsible for. And I'm sure I know that varies wildly. County right. County, and, you know, you hear me say this to people, uh, you know, our, but our jurisdiction is through the whole county. But our primary service area is the unincorporated area and the contract cities. But we police everywhere. I mean, make no mistake about it is, is that, you know, every city in the county is in the county. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you know, I'm responsible to all the voters uh, and all the citizens, whether they're in a city or not. Uh, and so we have a role uh, throughout the entire county. So any any learning curve for you as sheriff? I mean, you get started. I've heard you say before, the best part about the job is you get to make all the decisions mm-hmm. and it's also the worst part of the job. It is. Um, what are some of the things, well, I guess first, like what's your day to day look like? What are, what are routine sheriff things week to week? It's, you're a tough person to ask cause you're involved in all kinds of other stuff. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to the core sheriff stuff, I mean, are there standing meetings you have every week operationally? Like talk about what some of that is. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, there's a lot, uh, and it's very diverse. Uh, you know, I, you know, my day starts seven in the morning and usually ends somewhere eight o'clock at night, somewhere in there. Uh, is a normal day. And mm-hmm. then if it's busier, there's stuff going on, and then it's more than that. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, we do standard meetings, you, have, you know, with direct reports and have standard uh, operational meetings and uh, look at it, everything with uh, internal affairs, you know, employee issues, human resource issues, fiscal issues, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that comes out of public relations, meet with all the bureau commanders. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff operationally. I'm very involved operationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm responsible for it, so I'm going to be involved in it. So your, your operations meeting, all the majors or, or bureau commanders just literally go around and talk about what's happening? Yeah, we just update and talk mm-hmm. about what's going on in their areas of responsibility, if there's stuff that I need to make decisions on, that they need some guidance on. 
on or is some of it is just making me aware of what's happening. I mean, I you know want to stay abreast of what's going on. And as long as I'm responsible for it, then I'm going to be responsible for it. And it doesn't mean that I don't, there's a difference between asking and telling. I tell people that all the time is that I want you to do a lot of telling what you're doing and do very little asking. You know, just tell me what you're doing, and if there's a concern, we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have a question because you don't know how to handle it or it's nothing you've experienced before, then I'll help you with it, and you can ask, and we'll work through it together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I need to know, you know, what's going on, what's happening, and stay abreast of it all. What are some of your least favorite things about your job. I mean, people are like, everything that must come across his desk must be terrible. I know that's not the case, but there is some not great things. <laughs> well, there's something to be said for it. And the yeah. reason why there is something to be said for it is, is that if it was easy or it was generally good or it could be solved at a lower level, it would have been solved at a lower level is, is that the majority of stuff that, that hits me is a problem. And no, normally most people would say it's not good, but that's why it hits me. And, and so you got to keep that in perspective and you can't be jaded by it. You know, we have a, a lot of great things going on. A lot of good people do a lot of good work. And it, that is the minority of stuff. But, you know, that's why it gets to you is, is because now, you know, I reach out and I get outside that bubble. So I see a lot of the good and I'm involved in the good. But the stuff that, you know, people bring to you is the stuff that hasn't been able to be resolved at a lower level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably one of the worst things that you, you deal with. And I hate dealing with it, but I will deal with it. And I think I've established for everybody what I'll tolerate and won't and what I expect is dealing with personnel issues. Mm-hmm. You know, we have almost 3,000 employees, so you're going to have a wide range of things, uh, a mix of what people do. And, you know, my message to people, I'm very serious about it, is just give us your best. Just try hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But what I care about is that people are um, working from the heart, and I could care less about hustle mistakes. And when people make hustle mistakes because they're trying to do the right thing, is is that we're going to view that very differently than when people uh, do things that are against policy or against the law or uh, not what they should be doing. Yeah. Well, I have no tolerance for that. Yeah. And or lying or yep. people that just have that don't care mm-hmm. and don't have that you know quote give a damn where they just are apathetic to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a intentional disregard, I view that very differently and will treat it very differently than somebody who's trying. I mean, and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, we've had in the past as an example, um, and, you know, I'm talking about past cases or stuff, stuff, stuff that's pending now, it happens, you know, like with pursuits. We changed the pursuit policy, you know, many years ago. We tightened it up pretty significantly. Um, but if you go look at the discipline that we've rendered in internal affairs cases when people violated the discipline pol- or the uh, pursuit policy, the discipline is minor. It's minimal because it's people are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to get the bad guy. They're trying to protect mm-hmm. the community. They're trying to, and as long as they're trying and it's a hustle mistake and they learn from it, I, I don't, you know, nobody's going to get dinged hard. Now, I remember one we had uh, several years ago, the person doesn't work here anymore, and they were investigating a retail theft, so a misdemeanor pettit theft, as it was called, from Coles down there at uh, Park Street. And the person came out, and it was like a, I don't know, $20 item they got in a car, and they're racing, and they flee, and they're just going super fast up Park Street, and they chased them over this $20 thing from Coles down there. 
And it was a mess. And he got asked, you know, well, it's a retail theft. It's a misdemeanor. Doesn't in any way, shape, or form get anywhere near the criteria for a full-blown pursuit. Why'd you chase him? And he said, well, why, why not? He said, well, have, oh. have you ever read the policy? And, and, the, and the guy said, well, I've never read the policy. I don't know what it is. Oh, wow. That didn't work out real well for yeah. him. Yeah, goodbye. Imagine that. So that's, you know, you yeah. know, those are the kinds of things. But uh, when people are, again, they get caught up in the moment, the adrenaline's full, and they're trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get legitimately it, bad people off the street. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, stuff happens. I'm not worried about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you talk about, uh, you know, as long as I'm responsible for it, you know, you have a, you have a real strong sense of responsibility to the public and mm-hmm. you mentioned, uh, internal affairs stuff. I mean, when it comes to transparency, that's mm-hmm. something that, that is big on. And I, I, I know I personally enjoy it in PR. I think everybody else does too, because then when mm-hmm. you have trolls on social media saying we're trying to hide things or this and that, it's like, well, who else puts all their closed internal affairs cases on, on, on the internet for, for reading? It's, it's very entertaining reading sometimes. Um, but, but what's yeah, the, people do some silly things. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. And we don't tolerate it. That's what's, right, yeah. Right. But what, what's the, I mean, what's the, What's the what's the deal behind that? I mean, what is it just that it's that public responsibility that you have? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in transparency and that you live in a fishbowl and that people have an absolute right to know everything we do and what we do, why we do it, how we do it. Of course, I'm not talking about compromising investigations, of right. course, but that's a whole other topic. But mm-hmm. as far as the conduct of the agency and what we do, look, we're, we're here too, and, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's a true one if it is, is, is that we're here to serve the public. We're here to uh, make sure the community stays safe. And people own this organization. I don't own it. The people own it. And they have a right to know what's going on. And I'm a big believer. You just fight into the headwind. What are you worried about? Is, you know, is that tell people what it is. If, they, if we messed up, we say we messed up, we fix it, and we move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, at least the stuff that I'm talking about is, is that if we mess up, it's because it is a hustle mistake. It's because we're trying to do the right thing. And uh, when when we don't uh, and it doesn't go the right way, we'll let everybody see what it is and we take care of business. You know, I set a tone early on that, uh, well, you know, what I was going to tolerate and what I wasn't mm-hmm. and had to kind of change a culture to a degree because there were some envelopes being pushed early on. Mm-hmm. And I had to let everybody know that that wasn't going to happen, you know, you know, and um yeah, you know, I, I don't have a tolerance for laziness. Um, I don't have a tolerance for people being bullies. I don't have a tolerance for people not doing the job. Uh, and that doesn't mean that everybody's perfect. I mean, you come to work every day, and every day is not a great day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, you know, at the end of the day, when it all balances out, is if you're giving us your best effort, that's all we're asking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some days you come to work, it's like, ugh, I don't feel like doing anything. Other mm-hmm. days you're charging at 150 miles an hour. That's just life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's we need to be accessible and let people see exactly what we're doing and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you know it drives you guys nuts because sometimes I put, because I, I put it too much out there and people say, "Why are you doing it?" Because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And people say, "Oh, well, others don't do that. I don't care what others do." Right. You know what? What was kind of that? There had to be like the first uh, moment where you were like, <laughs> "Okay, like this is what I signed up for." When it came to some sort of a, a mishap or, or a messaging thing, what what was that for you? Was there anything particular like, "Okay, this is uh, we got to get out in front of this. I'm you know I'm concerned about it." And and was there anything like that? Or were well, you just 
kind of yeah, numb to it. Yeah, I think we had, I mean, early on, you know, when I uh, first took office back in 2011, you know, and shortly after that, we had a couple of rough spots. You know, we had some rough spots out of narcotics where people were not doing what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were um, doing searches they shouldn't be doing. They were jumping fences they shouldn't be jumping and going into people's backyards. They were pushing the envelope. The culture wasn't right out there. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, no, we're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and I fired a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had some people that were being really lazy and watching movies on duty. And it was a real prevalent thing. No, we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to tolerate that. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I think that those were, you know, early on some things and, you know, how it should work and what I believe in is, is that it's very simple, is you tell people what the expectations are. You ask them to meet the expectations and you tell them what you're going to do if they don't meet the expectations and then you do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's real simple. This is no secret. You know, like an example, I guess, is drunk driving. I don't have any tolerance for drunks. And it's a decision people make. And anybody that's ever had anything to drink knows that you know, no matter how much you've had to drink, you know that you shouldn't be getting in that car and driving. You know that you shouldn't be doing whatever it is, okay? Everybody has enough awareness to know that's wrong. So it's a decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they make that decision. So we, you know, years ago had a big problem and we had, I don't know, like three and two weeks where we had deputies that were uh, driving drunk, off duty. The last one was a guy over in Tampa on Armenia going the wrong way, got in a head head on crash with at three in the morning with a taxi cab over there. And I said, we're done. So here's the deal is, is that, and everybody in the agency from that point forward and everybody that gets hired from that point forward is put on notice and said, that if you drive drunk, is that we're not discussing it, there's no mitigation, there's no anything, if you drive drunk, is you're gonna be fired. So to me it's real simple, is that you make a choice. And if you don't wanna work here under those rules, then that's your choice, don't work here. Mm -hmm. If you wanna work here under those rules, then abide by them. And if you don't abide by them, this is what I'm going to do. And I have without fail uh, held to that. Mm And I can get up every morning and look in the mirror and feel, feel very comfortable with it because I don't make that choice and decision. I told you what the rules are. Follow them. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. Same thing we had situations at the jail where we had <laughs> a whole bunch. Deputies at the jail are required to do uh, checks periodically on the inmates, 15-minute checks, mm-hmm. 30-minute checks. So we had a problem. This is that they were falsifying the logs and they weren't doing the checks. That's just pure laziness. Mm-hmm. There's no hustle in that. That's just pure, I just don't want to get my tail end off the seat and go do the checks I'm supposed to do and log them. So they were falsifying the logs. And so we dealt with it and we dealt with it. And we dealt. finally I said, you know what? No. Is that from this point forward, anybody that falsifies a log is automatic 30-day suspension. So that's a month without a paycheck. <laughs> Guess what? I haven't had it happen again. <laughs> Solve the problem. Yeah. yeah, we had a couple of them, but once they saw us serious about it. Yeah. Are there some things that you do that people don't know about that they, you think that people should know about? Mm. Or, or big misconceptions? Uh, I, I think I, 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 yes and no. Mm. There's probably a lot of things I do that people don't know that I do, but I don't really want them to, to know because I'm not doing it because I want them to know. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think that if you t talk to people who know me and know some of the decisions I make, uh, especially about people and personnel and, and uh, personnel matters and issues that relate to the people of the agency, uh, you know, people think, I think people think, I don't know, let them judge it. Let somebody else judge me. I don't, you know, not going to judge me, but we'll judge you. People, people, <laughs> we're, we're good at that. People, yeah, well, especially Ricky. Not just you, everybody. Correct, <laughs> correct. Especially Ricky. There it is. Because um, Ricky, Ricky doesn't have an opinion. There it is. Correct. There it is. No, Never. I, I think, you know, I, I think that, you know, people will, people think that I'm hardcore and hard. Mm -hmm. mm, maybe, but I'm really not, mm -hmm. you know, um, when it comes to people and individual and individual situations. I'm, you know, I do a lot for people, uh, and I should. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the right thing to do, but I don't want people to know about that right. because I'm not, that's not the reason why I do it. And I happen to agree, just yeah. so you know. I yeah. think you know <laughs> we we all see that. I yeah. think yeah. you know, and and based on obviously um, what but you've said, the most important thing to me, I don't care what anybody says about anything, is that, and I'm serious about it. it is I'm very mm -hmm. serious about it. Is are people treated fairly? Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. and I don't care whether it's in what it is. They walk away from it, and whether you know it's an internal affairs case, and whether somebody was exonerated or whether they're terminated, it doesn't matter yeah. what that outcome is. Where they treat it fairly, and do they feel like we did the right thing by them? And are we consistent? And and sometimes you know, to be fair is to be consistent. To be consistent is to be fair. Is we're dealing with people who are leaving to ask for things, if whatever you know, I'll, I'll bend over backwards, but you know, it's just the right thing to do. But um, it, it's. It, it, all that should be behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it should yeah. be. But there's a lot of things that, you know, we obviously, we're internal PR too. So, you know, we see yeah. um, things that are going on, have a different perspective than others. And, and I'm just curious about it because people certainly do have perceptions. I mean, people don't even like to come visit us because of you on the third floor. So <laughs> we, we try to convince them it's not a scary place and you're a fun guy. But, yeah, right. Uh, you know, yeah, I know. I, I get it. But, you know, some of it is, it's just the nature. It, it is, as they say, I guess whoever they is, you know, it is a paramilitary mm -hmm. uh, environment and you do it is that so you know some of that all comes into play um yeah but you know uh, that is. is what it is you know you try to get people you get around try and talk to people and get people to you know no look we're all just doing a job mm -hmm. i'm no different than anybody else i heard because i used to be an admin down in patrol that sometimes you like will listen over the radio or i don't know if you're like looking at reports or what and if you see like a deputy did something really good you'll like personally call them and talk to them about it and say like i heard you handled this really well and yeah yeah, yeah no no definitely and you know and even when deputies come in here on the podcast and they say stuff like well if the, <laughs> if the powers that be hear something somebody could do, oh. they get a phone call uh-huh you know uh, no i'm a big yeah. believer now we they, have a shoe awesome right so no i'm a big believer in that no we want to let people <laughs> yeah. know that you know we got a lot of good people that are yeah. doing great things and no, i try and you know if i see something yeah you know as much as if there's a problem you know i certainly you know address it and let them know too mm -hmm. but it's not all about that it's all yeah. about you know the positives and uh you know sometimes it's a phone call a lot of times it's an email um i mean that's how people communicate these days anyway yeah, so yeah. um you know but i'll call them uh, yeah and it, uh, you know sometimes send them a message over the computer in the car i mean there's a, a variety of ways but no i want people to know so i, I do yeah i think that's really cool you know yeah. you have such a busy schedule to be able to find some of that day-to-day -day stuff and be like 
you know, nice job. Yeah, and we get a lot. I mean, and a lot of people don't see it. You guys see it, but most of the people, in fact, the bureau commanders don't even see it. All the public recognition that mm. we get mm-hmm. you know, regarding uh, the work that's being done with our people, it isn't just the patrol deputies or even mm-hmm. deputies in general. It's across the board with a lot of stuff that people do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we send acknowledgement letters and we let th- to the people who um, let us know about it, but yeah. also so that the people who work here know. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that. You guys see it, but mm-hmm. you know, most people don't know how much there is. And a lot of times I'll get direct emails from people too so uh, no it's really important that the people know that you know and I you know again adages cliches is, is that you know and I do believe this one rings true I, I truly do and try and practice. people don't care what you know until they know you care mm-hmm. and you got to let them know that you care that you're you know that you're appreciative of what they're doing that mm-hmm. they're doing a good job that you know they have heart and they have that give a damn and that they're really trying and they're uh, contributing mm-hmm. um you know, so you got to let them know, uh, and you know, and and they need to, and they want to, they want to feel good about it, and, what, and, and that you know, people realize that uh, they're recognized, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just kind of you know, basic human need, so to speak. But For it's sure. but but especially in the workplace, and they want to feel valued, and not just feel valued. They have to, you know, they want to feel it, but they got to be it too. And so, mm-hmm. if you don't value it, if I don't value them, then there's something wrong. Yeah. So, and you do get out on the road occasionally, not as much as you as you used to. There's um, so much excitement when we hear car went over the radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you pushed a car <laughs> out of the road the other ride night, ride. so yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, but uh, you know, you go out there, and sometimes you go work. You know, on particular busy days, some of the holidays, or mm-hmm. perhaps uh, if there's an right. initiative or something. But do people recognize you when you're out there? Not our members, but like the public. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny, especially <laughs> when I stop a car and do a traffic stop, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and they're like, "Oh man, I must have really done something bad." <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Instant tears yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. Funny. It's pretty funny when they do because, and they're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any notable stories since you've been sheriff out there on the road? Yeah, I know, I know so. one because you posted a book on Facebook about it, but oh. anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some, I mean, you know, I mean, I try and get out there when I can, but some of it, you know, and, and lately I say lately, really, I mean, really the last couple of years, I've been so busy with other stuff related to, um, uh, school safety, parkland investigation mm-hmm. and school shootings, threat management, those things. And, you know, traveling around the state mm-hmm. and, uh, that's, you know, coming in for, a some sort of a landing. It'll never end. Mm-hmm. And I'll always be involved in it because I think it's so important. Uh, it's probably one of the most important things, most meaningful things, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Let somebody else judge whether it's important, but most meaningful things that, that I've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot. I mean, going down the street's fun. It's, you know, it's what it's why I signed up to, why I started doing this, you know, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, I enjoy going out there. I don't get out there as much as I'd like to, but I still get out there. And because that's what it's all about. That's the core. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the basic of job, the basic of what we do is what the patrol deputies and the detention deputies do every day. Mm-hmm. It's the people who are on the floor in the jail and the people that are on the street uh, in those cruisers taking calls. The rest of it supports all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because when, when it goes bad and people need help, it, those are the people that are on the ground Mm-hmm. is I guess it's called ground zero mm-hmm. the deputies in the jail and the people in patrol that's mm-hmm. the core of what we do mm-hmm. so um, what do you do for fun um, well I like to go to hockey games I'm a mm-hmm. big Tampa Bay Lightning fan mm-hmm. um, you know I do a lot of stuff around the house mm-hmm. uh, people probably most people probably wouldn't peg that but not, I do 
um, do a lot of work, a lot of stuff outside, inside, you know, getting stuff done. Um, and um, I go to the gym a lot. You know, I like to work out. Uh, try and go four or five days a week if I can. Uh, what do you listen to? What do you listen to at the gym besides our podcast when you're working out? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I only listen to the podcast because I got to check on you. <laughs> fair. It's fair. Yeah. Just like uh, silence. So, because, you know. Yeah. It's like silence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know Ears some people, wait, which some is, people which is do. Which better alternative? Our podcast or silence? I don't know. I don't want the answer. I know the answer. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, no. Well, at the gym, I'll tell you a lot of times people come up to me. So mm. I'm like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Is that annoying? It must be. Now, yeah. if, no. if you had headphones in, though, they might not. Oh, yeah. Maybe oh. you should put some in just... I, I know, and I and people do that, and I could do that, but I don't, I don't, because I just don't. I could do it. I could just put, you know... They would never know. AirPods yeah. still, in. still have your silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I even, do it all the time. Noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> not at the gym, but I'll just put them in so nobody will talk to me. Yeah, no, but I get people... I mean, it's amazing, really. I mean, people come up to me. I mean, I, I, a couple of years ago, I was traveling, and... and um, well, even this year, I mean, I was at the Salt Lake City Airport and a woman came up to me. So this year, my daughter and I took her earlier this year. We went to a, a Chicago Blackhawks game in Chicago mm-hmm. and we're in the arena in downtown Chicago and people were coming up to me um, in Minneapolis. We went there to uh, um, the Minnesota Wild Tampa Bay Lightning game. So I, I get it all the time. Wow. Um, I don't know. It's not easy being you. Yeah. You know, but people are just, you know, and people wanted, you know, now, now you haven't asked about them, but you know, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not Grady. Okay. Mm. So that's the, you know, we're actually pretty good friends. And, yeah. uh, people probably wouldn't peg that, but we're, we're good friends. Uh, but you, you think with some of it, if I'm getting that, I can only imagine what he gets. Oh, oh yeah. really? Yeah. Well, you oh, should God. do like a rap video or something. Maybe that'll get you on the Grady level. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to be on that level. Yeah. <laughs> don't be me. But um, no, I, I actually, I, I get it all the time. Yeah. So uh, back to yard work. What is it you use to joy oh. making it look good? No, I don't just want to get yelled at for not doing it. You know? <laughs> uh, who, who yells at you? Do you have a boss who at home? Uh, yeah, Ooh. no, there's no boss. But, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Somebody's got to get it. No, no. Oh, oh, okay. No, okay. no you just got to maintain it. So, mm-hmm. you know, no. Uh, Any issue with wasps or anything? Yeah, uh, yeah, they don't like me at all. Mm. I get stung. Not good. A couple of years ago, I got stung in the eye. Mm-hmm. My oh. eye was closed. I couldn't wear my contacts. It was bad. And just uh, a few months ago, I got my hand, my whole right hand was swollen bad what are you doing to those wasps i don't know antagonize them uh, yeah they they, that's a bad situation that was um, (laughs) that was not good i mean my whole right hand luckily it was my left hand i'm left-handed but yeah it was was all swollen and had to get on steroids and all kinds of stuff if i I was trying to do yard work and got injured that's a sign you're not supposed (laughs) to do it hire someone (laughs) go back for more yeah no you you gotta get it done yeah Yeah. you still have a whole uh farm at the house yeah Animal wise, oh, you have a lot of animals. What do you have? Uh, he loves out. animals. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you, the, that's the rumor. Yeah, mm-hmm. you've heard, you've heard, uh-huh. right? I have an informant. Don't believe everything you say I, or everything you hear. Everything I, you say. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what he just said? <laughs> that too. That, well, that's true. That, right? that too. Yeah, I mean, but don't oh. believe everything you hear. Yeah, oh. yeah. No, we're down don't now. Everything yeah, you're down. How many what, animals what do you have now? Now we're down to two dogs and a cat. We had like six dogs at one point. I think six dogs. If I don't know, oh my God, six dogs. I think it was six. Are, are they? Four, are they four, like four cats? Police-looking dogs or no. fluffy Rescue. dogs? No, they're all over the place. 
uh, and like I think we had guinea pigs and rabbits and all kinds. Oh, of stuff. oh dang! We're on the attrition plan. Mm. So it's working so far for you, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Are there any things um, you know? Obviously, you are limited on time, and, and things are always happening. But is there anything that you wish you had more time to do besides maybe go out on the road? Is there anything else? Yeah, probably spend more time with the people, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of is, I guess it's consistent with that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, getting out on the road, but getting out into other places within the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can make the time, you can try and schedule it, but stuff comes up mm-hmm. and just to be able to do, get around to more of the basic stuff that's done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it, but you have to also recognize, you know, what your role is, what your responsibility is. So, you know, we have this people know I mean, we got a big budget you know, this year old top 500 million dollars we had some good successes this year and being able to take care of the people with pay etc but that's because we were able to get the support and thankfully we had it from the county commission uh, from the county administrator and others but doing those kind of things takes time and mm-hmm. it takes you know meetings and work and you got to put all that stuff together so you know there's a there's a day job <laughs> right and then there's the other stuff you want to try and get to and you can't always get to some of that other stuff and it and I'm very involved with the Florida Sheriff's Association. Uh, you know, chaired the legislative committee for the last nine years. And but it's meaningful because what I'm doing by spending that amount of time and and that effort is I'm giving the deputies and all the cops in Florida the tools that they need to be able to do their jobs effectively. The laws that we've been able to get passed over the last few years are phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, especially related to juveniles and gun crime, uh, and even at a national level. So when law enforcement was under attack in 2020, 2021, and it was defund the police and do away with what's called qualified immunity, which is legal protection for the individual officers and deputies. Um, and I, you know, through, I've been on the board for Major County Sheriffs of America, which is a national premier law enforcement organization that represents the nation's largest sheriffs. And going to Washington and sitting down with Senator Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham and Cory Booker and these people and negotiating this out so, and, and being able to stave off all of these changes. But that takes a lot of time and a lot mm-hmm. of work and a lot of commitment, but it's worth it. And those are things that the the people don't always see what you're doing, and they don't need to. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they do, uh, but those are the things that take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. All that stuff doesn't just happen, right? You know. So perhaps and, time spent doing that is a little bit better than running around well, the agency on occasion. But, but no, I don't say it's better. But it, yeah. but that's my job mm-hmm. because if I'm not doing it, nobody else can do that. Right. And so uh, you know, in in you know, I generally working six seven days a week, but. You know, there's only so many hours, mm-hmm. and um, but but if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing what I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. So I've got to do that. So I wish there was more time, but you know, these are the things that also allow the people to have the things they need and have the tools and resources they need. And a lot of it's preventing bad things from happening, uh, mm-hmm. and and making sure that bad laws don't get passed or in the case where there was that drive to take away uh, the immunity that cops had when they're trying to do the right thing and they nonetheless get sued, and uh, that was a big deal. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, dealing with the immigration issue for a couple of years and going back up and forth in D.C. to deal with that. So it, it's there's a reason why I'm involved in all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 of course, you know, I go back to it is the, the school safety issue and uh, Parkland. I, I would say that of all the things I've done, that's one that's been one of the most challenging, but also one of the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uh, travel, and there's a lot of getting out there in the community and you know, trying to 
make sure the schools are as safe as we can make them. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can't, I guess we can't have you say something that maybe the powers that be can get you something because you're <laughs> the powers that be. Mm-hmm. But is there, uh, we do ask uh, all of our guests if there's something that the public can do to make your job easier, something that you need, um, what would that be for you? I would say their support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say the support, I'm not talking about just like blind support, just support us just because, you know, we're the cops and, you know, we should be supported. I think we have to earn it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to earn that confidence, earn that trust, uh, and, and to support the people that are doing the job. Mm-hmm. Um, there, nobody and no entity, no organization, mm-hmm. no profession is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always going to have. Uh, you know the the flaws that we all have, and but know that uh, the the by and large, and the absolute majority of the people doing it are doing it for the right reasons, and are looking out for everybody's interests, and so um, recognize that. Mm-hmm. And you know, even when there are mistakes, and this is where it's important for us, and it gets back to the transparency, is is that you know bring it to our attention, and we're going to address it, we're going to deal with it. Um, and, you know, we will listen to those concerns and resolve those things. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, from a public perception, you know, support the cops on the street um, because they're there doing the right thing for the right reasons. And most people have absolutely no clue about some of the things that, that go on in the community too, which is good because it means mm-hmm. somebody's doing their job. Yeah, no, that, that's true. You know, um, you know, a lot of things that we see and deal with, most people, it's not part of their world, mm-hmm. but that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be, right? Because some of the things that you know we deal with, people shouldn't have to deal with, but somebody does, and mm-hmm. so let people go about their business. We'll take care of the rest. You guys got anything else for them? I'm good. All right. Good. Well, thanks, Sheriff, for joining us. We appreciate it. We Thank were you. going to have you back because there's a lot more we still want to talk about. We want to dive into school safety and, and some of that stuff, but but we will. We'll get you another time for that. We know you're busy and we appreciate you taking the time and, of course, supporting everything that we do. So, Sheriff Bob Walter, everybody, uh, appreciate you listening and your feedback is encouraged as always. And if folks have any feedback for us, they can reach out to us. Uh, at let's56 at pcsonet.com. That's L-E-T-S-5-6 at pcsonet.com. Well done. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.